Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. My name is Nick Stolnos. I'm the assistant pastor. Confess our faith together through the words of the Shorter Catechism. We've got about four questions today. So let me read the question and let's respond together. Which is the second commandment? The second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. What is required in the second commandment? The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in his word. What is forbidden in the second commandment? The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. What are the reasons annexed to the second commandment? The reasons annexed to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over us, his propriety in us, and the zeal he hath to his own worship. We come to the Lord honestly, which means we come to him confessing our sin and our need. So please join with me in prayer, the prayer that is printed for you in the bulletin. We confess that we have been unchaste. We acknowledge all our sins of the flesh and all the excess and extravagance of our whole lives in eating, drinking, clothing, and other things, and our intemperance in our thinking, seeing, hearing, and speaking. We confess that we have stolen. We acknowledge our greed. We admit our love of the world and the things of the world. We have dishonestly gained and kept what we have, and greedily held what belongs to others and to you. We confess that we have borne false witness that we have been untrue and unfaithful toward our neighbor, that we have shaded, twisted, and denied the truth. We acknowledge in summary that our whole life is nothing else than sin and transgression of your holy commandments and an inclination toward all evil. Therefore, we beg of you, O Heavenly Father, that you would graciously forgive us these and all our sins, Keep and preserve us henceforth that we may walk only in your ways and live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Savior. Amen. As we've confessed our sins and acknowledged our need, hear now God's promise to us from 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. If you recognize your poverty, no matter how much money you have in this world, we all are poor when it comes to righteousness. Jesus comes and gives you his righteousness, and it is yours 
by faith. Trust in him, look to him, believe that his sacrifice, his obedient life, everything he did for you was sufficient to make you right with God and to bring you safely into his kingdom. Well, I invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in a mini-series, a two-part series. If you've been here for a little while, Pastor Jerry finished through the book of Nehemiah. And Lord willing, next week he's going to begin a series in 1 John. But I had the opportunity last week to preach and again today. And we are considering the topic of leadership. Leadership, which is my target word, the word that I'm focusing on for the year, an area of my life that I want to grow in become more like Jesus, become more effective in. Last Sunday, if you were here, we heard from Psalm 25, a wonderful psalm, not a super well-known psalm. And the focus was on the way that God leads us. Lead me in your ways, in your salvation, for I wait on you all the day long, is what the psalmist said. And it was our heart's prayer that as the Lord leads us, We can trust him through our troubles, whether they're troubles from the outside, whether they're troubles within our own heart, whether they're troubles because of sins that we committed, whether it's simply the circumstances of living in a sinful world. There are troubles, and we do not have the resources within ourselves to face them. Only Jesus, only our great king, has the resources to rescue us, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from temptation, to rescue us from anything that would come against us. He promises to be there with us and lead us. So that was the focus last week, the way that God leads us. And today, we're going to think about how we can lead and be led by others. And just a little bit of context, the the tricky thing about a two-part series and going from one Old Testament text last week to a New Testament text this week is you don't have the benefit of thinking about, having thought about a book for a long time the way that we did with Nehemiah or the way that we will with First John. But just a few things about the book of First Peter. The author is the Apostle Peter. It was probably written around 63 AD. He's writing to who he calls the elect exiles. Christians who are scattered across the Roman Empire. Some of them are citizens, some of them are not, but they live in this Roman Empire. They, they live in a place where uh, the Lord is not recognized by most. They live in a Roman Empire, they're subject to Caesar, but their true home is the heavenly Jerusalem. Their true home is with God, and no matter their earthly status... Their heavenly status is the most important thing about them, and it defines everything that they do and the way that they live. And even when their faith put them at odds with the wider culture, even when it meant suffering for the name of Jesus, which is what many of them were experiencing, they were called to be faithful. And it's the same for you and for me. In this country, wherever we find ourselves in the world, Our true home is heaven. We are elect exiles, chosen and precious to God, yet living in this world often 
not recognized, often um, shamed, often rejected. But the way we live now in this world is to entrust ourselves to our Heavenly Father while we do good. This is the verse right before the passage that we're going to read. And it's the same thing that Jesus did. He entrusted himself to his Father, even though in his earthly ministry, often he was not recognized. Often he was not honored. But what does leadership have to do with faithful living in this world? That's what we're going to find out about today. So hopefully by now you're there. First Peter 5, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is, to be, that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray once again. O Lord our God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. Lord, have your way in us and through us. We pray, O our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you know that I spent the week in St. Louis. Pastor Jerry was there with me and Amber was there as well. We were at the General Assembly for our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, and some of the illustrations, ideas that I'm going to share today uh, came from my experience this week, so I'll be talking uh, a little bit about it as we think about this passage, and specifically how this passage talks about leadership and being led in God's church. Now, if you've seen any pictures or videos of General Assembly, you saw a, a, a big convention hall with thousands of seats. This year, there were about 2,000 commissioners. A commissioner is a teaching elder or a ruling elder. 
in our denomination, and not only were there commissioners, but there were other visitors and guests, family members, folks in the exhibition hall. So there were way more than 2,000 people. And not only did we deliberate on different decisions that needed to be made, not only was different business addressed, but we worshiped and we prayed. Uh, we, we worshiped, we had three main worship services, three sermons by three, pe- by three preachers out of a possible 2,000. Again, imagine this, 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 this huge room and all of these commissioners who are qualified for ministry, one of the qualifications is that they are able to teach. But only three got to do it. Only three had that privilege. But imagine what it would have been like if one of the pastors got up and started preaching and then Pastor Jerry got up and started preaching. And we would say, hey, we love Pastor Jerry. We love his preaching. He's good. He's apt to teach. But it, w- it would be uh, out of order. Or if I got up and, and started speaking, it would be out of order. And one of the key ideas that we find in this passage is the order that God has for the church. Thankfully, no, nobody got up or did anything out of place. And we were blessed by encouraging, convicting, preaching of the gospel and God's law and the standard that God has for us. And Jesus was lifted up and proclaimed. I would say throughout the whole week, and and I've talked with some of you already this morning, I was very pleased with the week. I was pleased with the decisions that that were made. I was pleased with the prayer and the worship and the fellowship that I experienced but we did everything in an order, an orderly way. And we do that because we want to follow the pattern that Jesus has for us and that God has given us in his word. But back to this passage. Here's the big idea. Last week we focused on how God leads us. Today we're thinking about how leadership happens among us. But here's the big idea. Because Jesus is our great shepherd leader, then we, the shepherds and the sheep, can follow him with humility and confidence. Because Jesus is this great shepherd leader, we can follow him with humility and confidence as leaders and as those who are being led. So we've got four main points as we think about leading one another under the lordship of Christ. We're going to think about the shepherds, we're going to think about the sheep, we're going to think about the chief shepherd, and then we're going to think about until the shepherd comes. In other words, the so what. So first, the shepherds. This is verses 1 through 3. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you. So we get a glimpse of what the leadership structure was like in the early church. We have Peter, this great apostle, this great leader who spent time with Jesus, who was instructed by him, who sometimes needed to be rebuked by Jesus, who was often zealous, but sometimes Jesus needed to take him aside and show him what was right. Sometimes he needed to reveal what was in Peter's heart. And 
before Jesus was led away to be crucified, Peter denied Jesus, just as Jesus predicted. He came to the, uh, the end of his own resources. He thought that if anybody was going to be faithful, he would do it. And Jesus said, no, you're all going to fall away. But when you turn, strengthen the brothers, strengthen the church. And unlike Judas, who turned away in despair, Peter, when he saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the boat and saw Jesus on the shore, he leapt out of the boat, ran to Jesus. And, and this is what we do when we sin, when we have failed. We run to Jesus. Uh, I'm old enough now where I have experienced friends who apparently were walking with the Lord but no longer walk with the Lord. And certainly I've had times of, of confusion and difficulty, but when we find ourselves in those places, where do we go? No one else has mercy and grace like Jesus. And Peter, that day on the shore, saw Jesus and saw that he was the only one who could restore him for the sin that he had committed against the Lord. And he went and saw him, and Jesus, in a beautiful way, restores him, as we see in the closing chapters of the Gospel of John. But this is Peter, the one who writes now. So he says, I'm a fellow elder with you. He, he had this great position of being with Jesus, being restored by Jesus, but then he puts himself on the level as a fellow elder. Peter, in a short time, was going to go and be with the Lord. He was going to die and leave this world. So he's got to set this plan in place, and he says, I've seen Jesus, I saw his sufferings, I've been a partaker in his glory. Not fully yet, but as he's experienced the love of Jesus, as he's preached about him, he's been a partaker of that glory. But here's what he says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. Sometimes we get a little scared, scared about this because we have examples. You may have examples of leadership not doing a good job, not doing things right, sometimes taking advantage of that position but we have clear instructions in God's word about the way that leaders ought to lead, especially officers in the church. They do have oversight. They do have oversight. They have been tasked to watch over you. They've been tasked to watch and care for your soul, to make sure that you are hearing right teaching that is good for you so that you can grow and live a life that pleases God. So they have this job to lead but how are they to show that leadership? Not under compulsion, not because you're forced to. Sometimes we get enlisted to do something that we didn't really want to do. And leaders should have the integrity to either ask God to change that attitude, or if you are, are not really wanting to do it, then maybe someone else should do it. But this is the standard that God has for officers, for leaders in the church to do this job willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Again, officers of the church, pastors should not be in this for the money. Some, some people would, would laugh about that, but 
you should do this because you love Jesus and because you love his sheep and you want to lead them well. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, this is the way that the world would have us lead. If you are in authority, you get there and then you get to boss everybody around and they do whatever, they should do whatever you want them to do. But God says not in his church. Jesus said, uh, you are to be examples to the flock. Again, think of this picture of a sheep, of, of a shepherd and sheep. The shepherd is the one who goes in front of the sheep. This is the one who is with the sheep 24-7, protecting them, feeding them, leading them to safe pasture. This is the image that we have. And again, Jesus is our great shepherd, which I'll share a little bit about later on. But this is the image that we see of the shepherds. So during one of the sessions, there was a panel of, of speakers, elders in the PCA, and one of them was my old professor, Julius Kim. Julius Kim was my professor in seminary and my prayer group leader every Wednesday at the seminary and a wonderful man of God. And now he has the, the, the position of being the president of the Gospel Coalition. And he was, he was talking about why he is hopeful for our denomination, why he sees what he sees uh, and how God is working. And he talked about uh, what he would call Hyungs in his life. So Julius Kim is a Korean-American, um, second generation. His parents immigrated from Korea. And Hyung is a name for an elder in the community. And he, he was talking about recognizing the, the value and the honor that is rightfully given to, to uh, our elders in the faith. And he talked about two men in his life, one D.A. Carson, a name that you might be familiar with, and then Tim Keller, a name that many of us are familiar with. But he talked about how these men set a great example for him and how important it is as much as uh, we believe God is using us in, in our generation, but that we are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And he, he gave a very, told a very interesting story about uh, someone who was literally standing on someone's shoulders and just barely, um, barely able to survive anyway. We should not forget the ones who have gone before us. The, the ones who have helped lead us and have set the example for us, not believing that we know everything and that we don't need the older generation or the younger generation. So the key is for leaders, especially officers of the church, to do your job, to do it with a willing heart, to do it with humility, to be the kind of leader that God would have you to be, the one that sets the example for the sheep, now, I've been talking about officers, but leadership really is uh, for everyone. Like I shared last week, we are all led by God. We are all under his leadership. And if, if you have no one else who's following you, you can at least be led by Jesus. And there's nothing more important than 
being accountable to God, living for him, and having established that in your life to be led by God. But there are so many ways that we lead. If you are a sibling, if you've got younger siblings, if you've got younger cousins, if you've got neighbors, there are so many ways that we are called to be a leader, called to be an example in our life. And we are to lead just like the ways that we just read about in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. But what about those who are being led? Again, like me in that humongous auditorium, I was being led. I wasn't preaching. I was participating. I was being led by others who've gone before. So this is the sheet, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this context, the younger uh, are are probably just those who are younger in the congregation. Now we know in the, in the church, elders can be a variety of ages. Typically, you need to have lived for a while and walk with the Lord to be qualified as an elder. But some of us who are younger and think that we might know more than we do need to be reminded that we are to be subject to the elders. And no matter how old you are in the church, when you make a vow, when you make your vow like we do up here for church membership, one of those vows is we, we will support the elders as those who have been tasked to teach and to shepherd us. So we are subject to them, not doing anything that they say. Certainly they are accountable to teach God's word. They're not to be teaching for their own gain or anything like that. But listen to what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. This goes for the sheep, this goes for the shepherds, this goes for everybody. The image is uh, of putting on a garment, putting on uh, perhaps like a belt or something. We're, we're putting it on or tying it on ourselves. This is the attitude that we, that we have in our interaction with one another. Leaders in our interaction with those who we lead, we put on humility. Those of us who are being led we put on humility. We want to be good listeners. We want to be faithful followers. Certainly all of us learning God's word, knowing it better so that we're all following, but submitting to the authority that God has placed in the church. Again, throughout the week, there were worship services. There were debates on the, on the floor of the General Assembly. There were all sorts of things, and you might be surprised to know that I did not uh, argue, or I did not get up and, and give any uh, argument for one uh, idea or another, not because I didn't have my own opinions or that I didn't believe certain things, but we were reminded by our moderator that if, if someone else says something, that um, you don't need to say something that somebody already said. Makes sense, right? We don't need to make these meetings unnecessarily long. Pastor Steve was up on the platform uh, helping with the clerk. He was there till 1245 on Thursday night, just like I was. So we didn't need these meetings to go any longer than they needed. So a little bit later, someone gave uh, 
someone gave a speech, and then someone else came up after him and said, I was going to say what he said, but I was going to say it better. (laughs) That's not the only thing that he said. We ought to be humble. We ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we have a lot to learn from one another. Uh, Whether we are officially or, uh, I don't know, we've had official training in school or we've had the training of life, we should be quick to listen and always be humble in our interactions with one another. Because like I said, we're all being led. This moves us to our third idea, the chief shepherd. This is verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is what fits it all together. This is what shows us that when we are called to submit to the leadership that we have, or if as leaders we are called to lead others, there is one who is above us all that we're all accountable to and makes it work. Um, Even if our leaders do something that we don't completely agree with, We can still follow their lead. We can still follow because Jesus is the one who leads us. He is the one that we are submitting to. And leaders, Lord willing, are the ones who are following the lead of Jesus in the way that they teach, in the way that they interact with the sheep, in their attitudes, in their humility. Jesus is our chief shepherd. He is the one that we submit to, and he is the one that makes us confident when we put ourselves in a, I guess, a vulnerable position. When you're being led by someone else, when you're submitting to them, you have a certain level of vulnerability. But we can trust Jesus. We can trust that he is the one who leads, and he is the one who gives to us this unfading crown of glory. There are many things that we could try to seek glory for in this world. Many of us are going to be watching the Olympics later this month and next month. Olympic gold medals, if, if you've ever met or, or seen someone who's an Olympic medalist, there's a certain amount of prestige in that. And it's something that these folks are competing for. They're competing for honor. They're competing for the chance to prove that they are the best in their particular event. But Jesus is the one who has gone before us. He is the one who leads us. And he is the one who gives us unending, unfading, unhindered glory with him. Again, we've heard stories of of people that we hold in high regard. And then we find out something that they did that was very bad. and, And the glory that was there vanishes away. But in Jesus, we have eternal glory with him. That's what we can live for. That's what we can do as we humble ourselves, as we submit to him, as we submit to the leaders that God has placed over us. We have this chief shepherd who leads us safely to glory. Our glory is eternal and assured, and we can have confidence in that, and we can humble ourselves before one another. So this is this chief shepherd. What about until our shepherd comes? Let me read this passage again, 6 through 11, and let me just say a few things about it. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Again, we can 
humble ourselves. We can put ourselves in that vulnerable position because we know that in Jesus we will be exalted. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word anxieties in the ESV, it's actually singular in the original language. And when I thought about that, just think of, think of all the anxiety. You may not want to think about that right now, but just for a moment, think about anything that could be in that category in your life. A relationship that you have, perhaps something at work, perhaps with a neighbor, perhaps something about the future. Peter says, cast all of that. Cast your anxiety. That big category. Cast your anxiety. Cast your care on him. Put it all in a box. Cast your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He showed it. He cares for you. He laid down his life for you. Therefore, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Yes, we have Jesus, our Savior. But we're still here. He hasn't yet taken us to glory. So we have to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, one of the ways that we are equipped against Satan's devices is that we... We hear and learn good teaching, but then we're thinking about it, we're meditating about it throughout our day. And the more that our minds are on God's word and on the gospel and on Jesus as our Savior, the temptations are not as strong. Even when they are strong, we have God's spirit. We have his truth that helps us to recognize the temptation for what it is and say, no, I'm going to submit to Jesus. I trust him as my leader And what he gives me is better and more profound and eternal compared to anything that Satan would promise in this temporary life. God's word says, resist him, verse 9, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the blessings of getting outside of... um, this, this area and, and being around other Christians is you find out what other Christians are facing. Many of you keep up with the voice of the martyrs. Many of you are aware of what's happening in other parts of the world and it gives you perspective to pray for them, to support them, to encourage them. But we trust in God as we pray for them, as we resist these temptations that come. In verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's personal. Jesus is the one who leads you. He is the one who strengthens you. All these words are similar in meaning and taking together. He is the one who's going to give you everything that you need to stand for him. And he does that in the context of the church. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is how we persevere. We humble ourselves. We are confident in God's leading. We're confident in the leaders that God has placed over us. We're confident that Jesus is in charge of it all. We have the leaders, the shepherds, the sheep. We have the chief shepherd who leads us. We have the way that we live in the meantime in humility, but in confidence. And where do we finish? 
Well, I want to tell you about one other person that I saw at the General Assembly. More famous, probably, or more well-known than any of the pastors who spoke or led. And uh, some of you will know the name of this person. Her name is Rachel Den Hollander. Do you know who this person is, Rachel Den, Ho Den Hollander? Uh, she was at the General Assembly this week, not as a commissioner, but she has been serving in an advisory role for our study committee on domestic abuse and sexual assault. And I, for one, am, am glad that our denomination is taking this up so that we, as shepherds, are truly protecting the sheep, that we are accountable for those that we have been tasked to shepherd, that if there are wolves among the sheep that we won't stand for it. So she's there helping and she is most well known for her work as a lawyer and as the first to publicly accuse Larry Nasser, the former doctor for the USA women's gymnastics team. And as a, as a lawyer and as the first one to come forth and bring these accusations, she was able to to gather hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of girls who were abused by him and ultimately led to his conviction and his imprisonment. And as uh, I didn't get to talk to her, but I saw her as I was walking by and I was thankful that she was courageous, that she was doing a good work and she's helping us out, our denomination, so that we would be good shepherds watching out for the sheep and I gave, I gave thanks that God was and is working in her for good so that we would be um, a denomination that is faithful, that shepherds are being faithful. But that's an example. Again, she, she's not in the PCA. She's from a, a sister denomination, not a pastor, but she is leading. She is doing a good work, and God is working through her, and I thank God for that. But God is working in you as you trust in him. As you look to Jesus as your chief shepherd, trust in him. So I'm going to pray and we will be uh, preparing for the Lord's table. But rejoice in your chief shepherd. Be willing to take up that position of leadership in big ways and small ways. And trust that he's working through you and working through us all. So let's pray together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you lead us well. Thank you for the leaders that you call uh, to lead in the church in official ways and for all of us to lead in unofficial ways, different ways, Lord, for the strengthening of your church. May the spirit of Jesus be among us in a powerful way. Thank you for the supper that we'll get to partake of. And we ask that you would meet with us in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'll ask some of our servants if they'll come up as they make their way. I invite you to listen to me as Nick challenges us to follow the example of the true shepherd. It was there in Luke chapter 22 that we also get to lead and follow the teaching of the good shepherd. Uh, very important as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here together. If you're visiting with us, if you're a Christian... You've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You're active in serving the Lord through a church that 
possesses the marks of a true church, which we believe is the preaching of the gospel, the sacraments, and the practice of discipline, uh, which Nick preached about today. And so if you're here and you're not a member of our church, but you are a Christian, we invite you to celebrate with us the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've not made a profession of faith, let me be the first to beckon of you and to say to you, it is only in Jesus Christ that you will be able uh, to follow and to experience that which he has for you. It is only in Jesus Christ that your sins can be forgiven. It is only in Jesus Christ that you are going to find that which you are searching for. And so I encourage you, if not today, wait if you're not a Christian. But to seek us, we'll share with you. And so that in the future, you too can celebrate together around the Lord's table. So as we begin to celebrate, I'm going to ask that they begin to pass this out as I read to you. And as they share together, please take a piece and hold it, and then you can share together. I'll be reading from Luke 22. It's amazing, as Nick preached about humility, let me remind you in Luke chapter 22 in the Lord's Supper, do you know what the first thing the disciples asked Jesus when he got done with the Lord's Supper? Lord, which of us is going to be the greatest? Which of us is going to be the greatest? Oh, Peter knew humility. The day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, and he said, This cup... That is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. He was there at the table. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I see While they're passing, take a moment and pray. Just listen. Alleluia, praise the Lamb. Alleluia, 
you praise the Lamb. My heart sings his praise again. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. It was there at the table that they gathered. That he spoke to them about the blood and the betrayal. For the disciples said, This dispute arose among them, to which was regarded about who would be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Alleluia, praise the Lamb. Alleluia, praise the Lamb. My heart sings his praise again. Alleluia, praise the Lamb. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. The new covenant As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you would forgive us. That, Father, as our minds drift, as our hearts go astray, as our souls become weary, Lord, even in the midst of your presence, surrounded by truth, we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on where we fit, what we're going to get to be, and how great we're going to become. Forgive us. Father, help us as Pastor Nick challenged us to be humble, to know what it means to be living in the humility behind the chief shepherd, your son, Jesus Christ, so that he will get the praise and the glory for it all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Before we go, this is how the Lord establishes you and strengthens you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.